Last week, if you were here, we talked about a guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a particularly interesting guy. He was a cupbearer to a foreign king. And if you were here last week, you would have learned that Nehemiah received some bad news. This bad news was that his hometown, the town that he had actually never been to, but that his ancestors built, was destroyed. It had continued to be destroyed for a hundred years. And he felt such a burden on his heart that he had to do something. He had to do something, and he didn't know what to do. He prayed, though. He prayed for four months. After he prayed for four months, he approached the king of Persia, and the king could tell that he was very sad, that something was burdening him, something was, was keeping him from being his normal self. And... Basically, Nehemiah shared with him what was on his heart, and that's where we left it last week. I wanted to start off this week by reading a verse, not in Nehemiah, but in Isaiah 50. It's Isaiah 50, verse 7, and it says this, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for that you're so faithful through it. God, I pray that this message would first convict my heart before I, I share it with anybody else. Lord, I pray that your word would just work in each one of our lives and that, that we would leave this place different than the way that we came in. Pray that you would guide my words, let them be yours, and it's in your name that I pray, Lord. Amen. About two years ago, I met a man. He had three children. He was a, a, a very successful man in, in, in the business industry. I think he was a trader or something like that. And I, I met him not in an office, but in a, a missions conference. He had just recently decided to become a missionary. Now, like I mentioned, he had three children, but most of them were adults, and he, was, he had been very successful in his line of work, but something happened, and he said that he felt called to the missions, and so he moved with his wife and his youngest son to the jungles of Brazil to be a missionary to the tribes. And when I asked him, I, I talked to him for a little bit because his story fascinated me. And I asked him, what made you want to do it? He said it was actually 9-11 when he saw so many people like him, their life ended way faster than they could have ever imagined. And he felt, he felt like he couldn't get that image out of his mind. And he, he said something to me that, that still sticks with me. It says, he said that death will do one of two things. It will either take you to your treasure or it will take it from you. He felt a call to do something, something about the needs that he saw. And he realized that he had been amassing a very nice earthly treasure, but he wanted more. <laughs> he wanted to do something. I feel like sometimes we, we allow comfort or we allow just certain things in our life to dissuade us from doing something. 
Something to tell us, you know, we, we feel a call or we feel like a burden for something, yet we don't do anything about it. What I find fascinating in Scripture is that we see a lot of people in this position. And they're people that are from very different ways of life. For example, if, if we look in the New Testament, we see that God uses very diverse people to accomplish his purpose. I mean, just think about the followers of Jesus. We had some fishermen. We had a tax collector. Saul was one of the most legalistic men that we find in the Bible, yet he is the one that's going to be carrying the message of grace. John the Baptist was a guy that lived in the woods and wore strange clothing and and ate bugs and drank honey. God uses different people to do different things. If we look in the Old Testament, we, we can also find that the theme is, is still the same. You know, in the Old Testament, we have farmers, shepherds, kings, widows, lepers. God looks for people that say, I am available to serve you. And he will use anybody to accomplish his purpose. Now, last week, I, I also shared with you a uh, a fraction of a story, and some people were actually kind of angry with me after the service because I, I didn't tell you the full story. Um, I met a family in Peru, and they were in a lot of trouble. Um, they were living in—they're living in a, a pretty um, sad situation. The mother, her name was Claudia, and she had polio ever since she was a child, and but she had overcome that by walking with a crutch. She grew up, and she had uh, a husband, and then she had four children, but her youngest son, Johnny, never walked. He's said a couple words in his life, and he's always been in the bed. That story really changed my life, and I shared with you just a, a little fraction about how their house was destroyed by a landslide, and I think that I would like to show you a little bit of what happened. So I prepared a little video for you guys that we're going to watch. See, I, I, I didn't have the means financially to really do anything, but I had a voice. <laughs> and I had a friend who was just launching a video company, and he offered to come down and to make a video. And I thought, is it gonna be enough? You know, is it, is it just, am I just gonna go and make that video and, and they're not gonna have their house? I struggled with it for so long because I saw a need, but I didn't know how to meet it. But that's what God does, you know. He has a tendency of bringing unlikely people together to do unlikely things. God, like I said, he, he started off by just sending a few guys right out of high school who had no knowledge whatsoever at anything in construction. <laughs> I don't think they'd even held a hammer in their life. But they learned how to pour concrete floors. <laughs> then there were people in the church that, that did know how to install electrical outlets or install plumbing, and, and they were able to to bless that family in so many different ways. And whenever we're joined together for a singular cause, God can really do incredible things, church. 
But you know, when I, it, it wasn't an easy process, and I, I originally thought it could take us three months to do it. It took almost a year, and it was difficult. And it wasn't like just giving them a house was going to solve any family issues that they might have either. So there were problems, and it was difficult. But the setbacks didn't keep us down. We continued forward because we had a vision. We had a call that God had given us. Last week when we, when we talked about Nehemiah and how God had given him a vision, he had given him a mission, we saw that, that Nehemiah was, was willing to go and do something incredible. He was going to leave his position of influence being a cupbearer to the king was something that, that meant that you spent a lot of time with the king. He probably lived in pretty nice quarters, and, and some people even say that he was more like an advisor to the king. And so he had, a, he had a good life, and he was going back to a city in ruins. So I want to I retake the story in Nehemiah 2. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. Um, you have some Bibles in the back of these chairs, if you like, or if not, the, the Scripture is going to be on, on the screen. Nehemiah 2, verse 15, here we find Nehemiah is back in Jerusalem. He's traveled back, and, and this is what happens. It says, Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone, or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were due the work. Now, I want to pause right here and mention that when, when I first read this, I thought this was curious because Nehemiah didn't show up with a banner saying, we're going to rebuild the wall. <laughs> he showed up and he went out at night to inspect the work. And I think that Nehemiah had to know from God, that God was able to do this before he was able to share that message with somebody else. And I think that we, as a church, need to be convicted to follow God's word, to do what God has asked us to do before we can tell other people to do it. Let's continue on. In verse 17, it says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah had to see it before he spoke about it. Nehemiah needed to, to know the vision. He needed to see. I bet he had to touch the rubble before he went and told others to do it with him. I think that a lot of times God puts a certain calling and passion in our heart, and it's there for a reason, and it is to share with other people, but you need to take it to God first. And you need to ask him how to share it with other people. Nehemiah needed to see it and believe that God was able to accomplish the build before he gathered other people around him. Now, he, 
Like I mentioned, Nehemiah didn't have it easy. He needed to build a mile and a half of wall, and it was, they didn't have heavy machinery. They had to do it by hand. He didn't have an expert team of builders, and he actually had some enemies surrounding Jerusalem that did not like this idea of Jerusalem having its walls back. In verse 19, it says, But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And I find it very fascinating the way that Nehemiah responds to jeering, mocking. He's, he's focused on the goal. He's not focused on fighting the enemies. He's, he's so focused on what God wants him to do, and what he's called him to do, that he doesn't let enemies lying and making fun of him distract him from the job he has to do. Chapter 3 details a little bit of, of the build, and it's, it's pretty interesting if you go through it. I'm not going to read it because it's basically just listing each family and what portion of the wall they built. But what I found interesting about it is that it lists some of the family names, but it also lists some of their professions. We had high priests and families of priests. We had goldsmiths, perfume makers, men and women, merchants. They were all working together. And that, that just reiterates this, this theme that we see in the Bible, that God doesn't call the qualified a lot of times. A lot of times he's, he's looking just to call you where you are, and he will equip you to do what it is that he's calling you to do. In chapter 4, we see how, how the, the enemies start opposing Nehemiah. And uh, the way that he responded to the opposition, I think, is worth looking at. So let's examine what it says in chapter 4. Now, when Sambalat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. You know, that can be one of the hardest things whenever you are trying to do something right. (laughs) when you're trying to follow what God has called you to do, and yet the enemy will try to distract you in any way. He's going to tell you, you know, he's going to show you all all the negative things. He's going to show you just how improbable it is that you're going to achieve what God has called you to do. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but let's see how he responded to the opposition. He, He responded with prayer. It says in verse 4 of chapter 4, Hear, O God, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. 
Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. How are you responding to opposition? I, I remember in my time that I, w- I was in Peru, there was, there was opposition, but nothing like Nehemiah had. Most of it was internal dialogue. <laughs> I had my own Sambalat in my mind, mocking my own moves or telling me that I, I wasn't going to be able to do it or I wasn't qualified enough to do it or <laughs> that it would surely fail. And I had to keep on replacing that voice with the voice of God. And there are times when, when you're not strong enough to do it, so you need to be in the Word of God. You need to know what the Word of God tells you, what God says to you. That's the best way to fight the enemy. Notice that Nehemiah's offense was rooted in God's protection. <laughs> That's where he found his protection. That's where he found the strength to continue. Even when there were people saying that you couldn't be done. Verse 10 says, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came in all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Now, in other versions, they translate this verse as um, the enemy will come in from all directions and you won't even know where they're coming from. Let's continue in verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I can imagine the scene. It's like, it's like a Braveheart movie, you know, where, where Nehemiah is getting everybody together and he's saying, listen, you know what? I know that you're not warriors. You're not even builders, There's an army outside, way bigger than us, and they hate us, and they want to see us fail. They want to destroy the work that we've already done, but do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. To have that kind of dedication uh, I would think that Nehemiah was maybe remembering what Isaiah was talking about. <laughs> remembering just this, this message on, on 
being so dedicated to set your face like a stone, like a flint. And even though Isaiah was talking about the Messiah to come, I think that Nehemiah could have been drawing a lot of strength from that. And the steadfast resolution saying, I don't, I don't care what's going on around me. I am so focused that God is going to complete what he's called me to do, that I'm not going to let anything change my vision. And so, in verse 15, it says that when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side when he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall, far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah's determination was stronger than the discouragement of a broken wall. His determination was stronger than the lies of an enemy. His determination was stronger than, than the, the view of an entire army coming to crush their efforts. He was so determined. And it was all from that one conversation that Nehemiah had with his brother about a year earlier, about six months earlier. <laughs> one conversation where Nehemiah said, hey, how are things going, you know, back, back in Jerusalem? And the brother said, bad. <laughs> we have no walls. We have no gates. When I think about what Nehemiah did, there's, there's a part of me that strives to have that kind of determination. And I think that each one of us wants to know that we are, we are working towards something, that God has given us a vision, he is giving us a calling, and, and we want to see that through. I think that being determined is, is one of the greatest, uh, a determined obeyer of God. <laughs> it's one of the greatest types of people that God can use. Apart from fame or apart from riches or apart from talents, it's are you determined to see God work? Luke 9 tells us of the beginning to the end of Jesus' time with his disciples. And in that chapter is when we see Jesus fully aware of what's going to happen to him on the cross. And yet, in verse 51 of Luke 9, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face 
I love that Jesus was determined to accomplish his purpose. If we were to consider what would happen if Jesus hadn't been determined, if he hadn't been determined to to set his face like a flint on what God's purpose was for us. And Jesus had many opportunities to, to back out. Remember the beginning of his ministry when he was in the desert, he was weak and he was tired and he had been without food and water for 40 days and that's when the devil approached him and he tried to get him to just give up. But Jesus was determined to see it through. And I imagine this last trek that Jesus took, imagine him walking the road to Jerusalem and seeing the walls that Nehemiah had built 500 years before. And seeing the walls and seeing the gates and walking through and knowing that maybe even Jesus got got some encouragement from the fact that Nehemiah built those walls when nobody else was going to. It wasn't that it was an easy thing for Nehemiah, but he was persistent and he was determined to do what God had called him to do. I'm sure that in that hundred years that other people had the idea of building the walls back, the hundred years of, of the wall being destroyed, but nobody did. And today we talk about the name of Nehemiah because he was the one that was determined to do it. Maybe Jesus was, was thinking about the very words that Isaiah wrote about him 200 years before Nehemiah when he said, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Death will do one of two things. Death will either take you to your treasure or take your treasure from you. I'm so thankful that Jesus' treasure was accomplishing God's purpose, God's will for his life. I'm so thankful that Nehemiah's treasure was not in a palace, but on seeing the will of God accomplished. I would ask you today, what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that he's put in your heart that's just eating away at you, that maybe you lose sleep over it, or maybe, maybe you're just so busy, like I've become so recently, and just I've wanted to block everything out and, and not hear the call of God and telling me to do things that don't make sense <laughs> Because what Nehemiah did didn't make sense. What Jesus did for us did not make sense for him to do. But when we now benefit from what Jesus did for us, let's pray. God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Nehemiah, of a man that was so focused on accomplishing the mission that you gave him. I thank you that in 52 days, he was able to rebuild that wall. (laughs) And that it was the very wall that Jesus approached, was crucified. 
Lord, I pray that you would make me a determined man and that you would raise up determined men and women in this congregation to do things that you are calling them to do. Lord, I pray as a church that we would be a church that that might even do things that don't make sense at first, (laughs) but that we're so focused on, on following your word, your call, your vision that you've given us, Lord, that that we would be willing to take the chance. Lord, I pray for each person today as they're considering what it is that they could do and if, if a lie creeps into their, their mind of, you know what, I'm too old for this. <laughs> or you know what, you're, you're not qualified for this. Or you don't have what it takes. God, I pray that you would show them who they are. <laughs> that you would show them that you created them to do amazing things, Lord. I pray that you would help each one of us find what it is that you've called us to do. In your name we pray, amen.